0: invite you to turn in your Bible tonight to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look tonight at the glorious bride of Christ. While you're turning there, I just want to, uh, this morning I forgot to announce that uh, the session not only met with the Petersons, but also with Matt Veldhouse, and uh, Matt uh, has also been received and will be publicly received at a coming date, along with his daughters Grace, Carmen, and Isabel, so we're thankful uh, for the, uh, to the Lord for that as well. Um, so I want to ask you to imagine you were uh, wandering through a used bookstore and you uh, came across a book that had your name on it, The Life and Times of Your Name. And um, it was some strange time warp thing, and you read, and it was your story, story of your life. You're like 30 years old, and you read it, and, and this is the story of your life, who, you, who you're married to, and names of your kids, and and, uh, and uh, they grow up, and, and you read the story, and you find that uh, you end up really well. Uh, you're going you're gonna to be a multimillionaire by the time you're uh, 60, and uh, you're going to have all the... Um, the pleasures and bless, the blessings that God can give, uh, you're, you're going to have a really, really fantastic life. You're going to travel and uh, bless a lot of people with the money God gives you. It's going to be fantastic. How would that change how you get out of bed tomorrow morning? <clears throat> I think that would impact you quite profoundly as you realize uh, this is going to end really, really well. Well, we should have that mentality as we read Revelation 21 because we're reading the story of how we end up. Of, uh, of, of how God is going to uh, conclude our story in the new heaven and new earth. So Revelation chapter 21, uh, as we read this revelation that Jesus gave to the Apostle John, and we're going to read the first eight verses. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down. Excuse me, I'm, I'm on the wrong track. i got to go further along here. Yep, I'm sorry, my bad. I was, uh, let's start at 9. That's actually what I'm going to preach on. <clears throat> <laughs> and we'll go through the end. But you know what? Can we just start at the beginning? And we'll just catch 9 when we get there. Get to the whole, I want you to get the whole picture. So um, we're in verse 3. So what we have here is a wedding scene. John first describes the place where the bride is going to take, where the groom is going to take his bride. He's prepared a place, and that's what the place looks like. And now we have the description of the bride herself, beginning at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the gate, the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the, is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those uh, who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing now as we uh, just unpack this wonderful revelation you've given to us about our destiny and our identity as the people of God. And so, uh, Lord, uh, thank you so much that you speak to us in your word, and you promise to do so tonight. Just give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the um, things, if you're paying any attention at all to the uh, events of the world happening around us, uh, one of the things that you undoubtedly realize is that we live in an incredibly rapidly changing culture. Things that were unthinkable uh, just 20 years ago have become um, cultural orthodoxy. Uh, sociologists say that we are uh, most likely living in the, in the most... Um, Radical and rapid culture shift in the history of humanity. And that change is impacting the church as well. People are, are uh, thinking about what it means to be a Christian, and they're thinking about um, the church of Jesus Christ in, in different ways. And, and the, the primary way we're seeing that in America, the Western world particularly, is that people are m- increasingly comfortable to think about being a Christian apart from anything to do with the church. Uh, there was a new book that came out just this past August, Jim Davis and Michael Graham, called The Great Dechurching." The Great Dechurching: Who's leaving, why they're going, and what will it take to bring them back? They say this, As a nation, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of the United States. Tens of millions of formerly regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided that they no longer desire to attend church at all. About 40 million adults in, uh, in America today used to go to church but no longer do. For the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has tracked American religious membership, more adults in the United States don't attend church than do. It isn't a gradual shift, it's a jolting one. In their research, uh, Davis and Graham couldn't find uh, a single reason. Uh, people gave a variety of reasons why they no longer go to church. Some um, said they just didn't feel accepted or loved. Others said that uh, they stopped going during COVID and just found out they didn't miss it. In fact, they kind of liked their having their Sundays to themselves. Other people say that they um, they no longer agree with the church's doctrine. They uh, they've become acclimated to the world's theology and no longer agree with the church's stances on a variety of things. But whatever the reasons that people might give, I think we could say that there's an underlying foundational reason, is that it, and that is that people have lost sight of the sheer glory of the church of Jesus Christ. And people, uh, even uh, like you and I, who regularly attend church can lose sight of the glory of the church. And um, what I want to do tonight is help us to see the church the way Jesus sees the church and, and to help us realize that what Jesus, um, what Jesus sees is, is what is true of us now and will be at the end of time. The Christians ought to have this, this um, delight to be able to say, I am a member of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the most honorable, glorious membership you you could ever have in your life. And we should delight in our brothers and sisters who are also members of the church of Jesus Christ because, um, well, the church is beautiful, and that's what we're going to see tonight. The church is is glorious. Uh, Just to quickly set our text in its context, this is apocalyptic literature, so it's full of symbols, and we're going to get into that. But John is writing as Jesus is revealing to him what's going to happen at the end of time. As, the, as this world comes to a conclusion and, the, and we're at the beginning of a new world. And it's, uh, it's fascinating to see that uh, the, this creation and the new creation both begin with a wedding, don't they? We have, we have Adam and Eve in their sinless form at, in the new cre- at the first creation. And now we have Christ and his bride... In, in her sinless form, at the beginning of a new creation. The first and last creations both begin with a wedding. And in every wedding, there are two moments that are the highlights. Um, I've been privileged to um, officiate many many weddings. Uh, there are two moments that get people's attention. One is when you say the vows. Um, people, are, they, they're not, I don't, people aren't fidgeting. They're not looking at their watches. They're not maybe looking at the bulletin. Uh, they are fixed, and particularly when I say, Mister, um, right, Matt or John or whatever your name is, uh, you may now kiss your bride. Everybody's focused on this first marital kiss, and often there's applause afterwards, right, cheering. That's one moment. The other moment is the entrance of the bride. Um, it is full of beautiful drama as. The guests are all seated, the music is playing, the bridesmaids and, and the groomsmen are all up front, arrayed in their, in their fine attire, and I'm standing there with the uh, grooms, with the, with the, the groom, and, and we're all waiting. And then suddenly the music shifts, uh, and the uh, people stand up and turn, and every eye in the place is fixed on the bride. Everyone is watching as she comes down and she's always beautiful, robed in white, beaming with with tears of joy often in her eyes, uh, sort of floats down the aisle to meet her groom and a hush falls over the, the audience as we recognize that there's something holy about this moment. Well, that's exactly how we should feel as we come to Revelation 21. There's something incredibly precious and beautiful and holy about the bride of Jesus Christ. We're going to see just three things as we, as we unpack this, uh, this text tonight. We're going to see the, the splendor of the bride, the, the beauty of the bride. We're going to see the, the grandeur and, and strength and security of the bride. And then we're going to finally see the sanctity, the holiness of the bride. The, uh, as we start in verse 9, the angel comes. If you have time, you can look back in Revelation chapter 17, and you'll see the exact same language. This is imitating what we read in John 17. The angel came and showed me, um, uh, this is the angel who has the seven bowls full of the, the last plagues, and he shows John another woman, and that woman is the harlot. Uh, that woman is, uh, represents the, the world in, in its fallen condition, full of sexual immorality and drunkenness and, 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 and murder. And, uh, and, and that's one woman, and, and we're shown her identity and her destiny in chapter 17. And in wonderful contrast, now we have the bride of Jesus Christ. Taken out of the nations of the world, but this bride, uh, John wants us to see the beauty and splendor so verse 10 he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God just let that settle on you having the glory of God we don't even know what that looks like we can't even fathom what that might be. You get glimpses of the glory of God in the things that he's made, but they're just shadows and fleeting images. But this, the bride is radiating with the glory of God, like a rare jewel. John is trying to find language, and notice he uses like a lot. Like a most rare jewel. Like a jasper. Clear, Clear as crystal. He's trying to give us some picture in our mind of the, of the light that's radiating from this, the bride, the brilliance of the bride, the beauty, the splendor. Words really fail to, to capture the, the beauty of the bride of Jesus Christ. And this bride city is so full of the glory of God that the sun isn't necessary. Verse 23, we see, "...the city has no need of sun or moon." For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. Notice the text doesn't say that there won't be a sun, but it does say, as John is trying to help us see the beauty of of the bride of Christ, you don't need a sun because the glory of God is going to be radiating throughout this bride city. The the glory of God, we're, we're shown in an interesting way in verse 23, the glory of God is the light And the Lamb is the lamp. It shows us a bit of the relationship between the Father and the Son. Um, The glory emanates from God the Father, but is revealed and magnified and manifested through, through the Son. So it is in Jesus that we see the radiance of the glory of God the Father. But that glory of God, the glory of God, is what is radiating in and through the bride, the dazzling beauty and the resplendent glory of the bride is the glory of God. That is just a stunning thought to me. Has anyone looked at anything in your life and said, glory? Not me. Um, There's lots of things been said, but not glory. And yet, that's a word that John wants us to see and to think when, when he shows us the bride of Jesus Christ, there's glory all over it. Now, that's, today we accept that by faith, because as the church is now today, it's, it's, the glory is stained by sin, and Jesus knows that. So if you know the book of Revelation, it starts with seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor, and of the seven, most of them have rebukes for the church. So the church in Ephesus, well, they're good at theology, but they've lost their, their love for Christ and His mission. Uh, the church in Thyatira was warm and loving, but squishy on truth and purity. The church in Sardis had a great reputation for being alive, but Jesus says, actually, you're you're spiritually dead. Laodicea has a great building and wonderful programs, but was full of pride and self-sufficiency and about to be spewed out. Only two of the seven churches received nothing but commendation. So that's that's the way it is today, right? The, the church is stained, marred, by sin. Jesus knows this. That's the church as it is today. And that's that's harvest church too. There's blemishes all over. Things that are not quite what they ought to be, and, and areas where we need to grow and areas where we need to repent. That's, that's, that's what it is like to be the church in this age, in this world. But but we're not always going to be like this. We're not always going to be flawed. The wonderful encouragement of Revelation 21 is that that this very church, this very congregation is one day going to be robed in glory so magnificent that if we saw it today, we would be tempted to bow down and worship. That's our future. No matter how weak and flawed we are today, that's what Christ is going to do as we abide in Him, as we abide in His Word we hold fast to Him. That's our future. That's our destiny. That's what that's, There's nothing else in the world that has given that destiny, that promise. But the church is, the church of Jesus Christ. Notice, secondly, the 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 grandeur and the security and strength of this church. Um, John tells us about its walls and its foundations and its gates. Notice in verse 16 how tall and, and great the walls are. The angel has a measuring rod, and it's, um, he measures the city, and it's 12,000 stadia, which is 1,400 miles in length and width and height. That's a big city, right? Um, now, goes, those numbers are symbolic. Twelve is the number of the church, both representing the church of the Old Testament with the, um, the, the twelve sons of Jacob, and then the twelve apostles, the church of the New Testament. So, twelve is the number of the church, and this city has twelve all over it. This, this, is, this is the church. But the, 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 the magnificence of it, you see, the, the walls are not just to say how big the city is, but it, we're supposed to see the grandeur and the impregnable nature. This is a, this is a city that will endure forever. Back in those days, a, the wall was your protection. And so kings would spend great amounts of money to build the wall, to make the wall as high and, and wide and deep as they possibly could make it. That was your protection against evil forces. And great cities had great walls. Well, there's, there's never been a city in the history of the world that had a wall like this. This is, this is a glorious city. And every city, you can go now, every city at some point falls in this world, right? You can go and see these old ancient cities, and the, there's, there's the wall. And the wall is in, in complete shambles. And the city fell. But not this city. It's an eternal city, not, because it's not built with human hands, its builder and maker is God. And not only are the walls magnificent and impenetrable, but, but the foundations. You see, the, a, a wall needs a, it needs a great foundation to remain standing. And this, this wall has 12 foundations. 12 foundations. Again, the number of the church. And, and on the, the foundations are written the names of the apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, right, uh, John, Peter, James. Not Luke, Sorry. Don't catch me on that. <clears throat> um, why, are they, why are they named for the apostles? Well, because it's the teaching of the apostles, as we have here in the Scriptures, the teaching of the apostles, as they bear witness to Jesus Christ, that's the foundation on which Jesus builds his church. Right When he says to Peter, you are, your name is Rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter is, named, is, is the word for rock. I will build my church. Not Peter the man, but Peter the apostle, as he proclaims, the truth about Christ, that's the foundation upon which Jesus builds His church. So Paul will say in Ephesians 2:20 uh, that, that the church is a temple that God is building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, in all His saving work and all His saving person. And that means that this city is, is going to be eternal, because the truth on which it stands is eternal. It'll never change. The, the gospel will never not be true. There will never be a single thing in your Bible that in, in heaven will read and say, well, that wasn't quite right. It's all eternally true all the way down and forever. And that is the foundation upon which the church built, is built. Every institution of man is built on a flawed foundation of some sort. It, because it, it rests on human wisdom, human, human intellect, human uh, design. And it's, it's in, inevitably going to fail. Not this institution. And there are 12 gates. Three on, uh, three on each of the four sides. The gates never close because they don't need to close. There's no night there. Verse 25. Again, I, I don't think that means it's, it's never going to be nighttime. But night is the time in the Bible when sin occurs, right? It's the time for deception and murder and stealing and sexual immorality. And none of that is going to be in the city. And that gets to our third point, the sanctity, the holiness of the city. This is a holy bride, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You know, the Bible talks about worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, I think it would be wonderful for us. We probably couldn't handle it I, you know, for us to see this, what the splendor of holiness looks like. Isaiah got a glimpse of it, and, and, and he was undone. The, 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 the splendor of the holiness of God is this incredibly magnificent, beautiful, glorious, awe-inspiring, fear-inducing reality. It's so precious, so beautiful, but, and, and the bride has it. Maybe the best illustration of what this holiness looks like, there's two aspects. When we talk about holiness, there's both a moral purity, which is how we usually think about it, but a holiness also means to be set apart in in a special way, and both of those aspects belong to the bride. I think the best illustration would maybe be marriage itself, where... um, we think about, the Bible calls, calls us to be holy in our marriage and particularly to not defile, don't, don't uh, undermine the holiness of the marriage bed. And, and, and that means both moral purity and set-apartness. When, when, when a husband or wife introduces perversion into the marital, marital bed, you, 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 you wound the marriage. And, and when there's not a set-apartness, when a husband and wife are not given to each other and only to each other, you defile the marriage. But, but a marriage that, that's, as God intends it, has both those aspects of, of holiness, set apart to one another and only to one another, and, and uh, moral purity in the marriage and, and in the marriage bed. And the bride of Christ has both of these aspects. The jewels and the pure gold express the beauty of its, uh, her moral purity. In, in verse 19, we have a list of 12 precious jewels. Incidentally, these are the same jewels found on the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. If you remember way back in, in Exodus when God tells Moses how to make that breastplate. Well, these, are, these jewels are all there, and they stand for the 12 tribes in the Old Testament, and they stand for the proposition that God's people, His holy people, should reflect the holiness of God. What does is, what is God say in the New Testament? Be holy as I am holy. And uh, that's, our com- that's a command now. It'll be a glorious, fulfilled reality soon. Soon. This is what it'll be. Even the gates and the streets of the city Usually dusty and dirty are beautiful. 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the the city was pure gold like transparent glass. The the image is, is of perfect, spotless, moral holiness. Just let your imagination run. What would it be like to belong to that company of perfected, radiant, saints who glow with the perfect beauty and holiness of God. There's, n- there's nothing comparable to this. And, and this is what Jesus says is our destiny. This is what he's accomplished for us. But, but it's the other aspect of holiness that's maybe even more stunning. The, the, the idea of being set apart, set apart to God and for God in perfect communion with God. This image could easily be missed just reading the text, but you probably noticed that the city was a cube. Every right height, width, length, breadth, it's all the same 12,000 stadia. It's a, it's a cube. Well, there's, there's only one other cube in the Bible. Does anybody know where the other cube is? It's in, it's in 1 Kings 6.20, where we read Solomon building the temple And he's describing the inner sanctuary. So the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold. So the only cube we find in Scripture is the most holy place. The inner sanctuary where God dwells, where God is present in all of His glory in a unique way. A place that is so holy that... No one is allowed to enter except the high priest, and he only once a year. But, but Jesus is telling us in, in our text that not only will the bride be allowed into the holy place, the bride is the most holy place. We are the most holy place. We are the place where God himself dwells, where God is present in all of his glory. We become the place of intimacy and glory where Christ communes with his bride. Now, that's the picture. Why does Jesus want us to know this? Well, if you love something, you like to talk about it. That's one reason. Jesus loves his church. The only thing Jesus loves more than his church is the glory of his Father. He delights in his church, his bride, in in a way that no groom has ever come close to. But we recognize that, that grooms should be just enraptured by the lady coming down the aisle. Jesus is enraptured by his bride. He treasures her. He delights in her. And he wants others to see the beauty The glory, the brilliance, the radiance, the preciousness of his bride, his people. That's one reason Jesus wants us to see this. Because he tells us about this. He he just, he likes talking about his bride. But Jesus also wants us to love his people, his bride. Psalm 16, as for the, the, the saints in the land, they are the precious ones in whom is all my delight. That's, that is a foundational Christian sentiment, as we are the bride of Christ. And, and Jesus wants us to know what we are now, even though stained by sin, but, but he wants us to know that right now we are his bride, and one day we are going to be revealed in a glory that, that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is struggling to explain. That's you. This isn't a metaphor. It's just reaching the end of what the English language or the human language can can reach. It's it's just gotten to the limit. There aren't words for this. But it's you, the church of Jesus Christ. This is your destiny, this is who you are, this is your identity. It's an unbelievable precious thing to, be, to belong to the, bride, to the church of Jesus Christ, to be the bride of Jesus Christ. Angels don't get this privilege. Just you. There's not a higher honor you could receive. There's not a greater glory that could be given to you. And I would just like to wrap up by saying two things. One, if you're not a member of the church of Jesus Christ, wouldn't you want to be? I, I love the line, when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number. I want to I be in that number. There's, I've missed out on, on parties and, and, and special occasions and things. Uh, I don't want to miss out on, on that. When the saints of Jesus Christ go and meet their maker, man, I want to be right there. Don't you? And if you're not a Christian, why not? I just invite you to examine the scriptures. Look at look at the evidence. Come come and talk to me. Talk to someone a Christian who knows. Let us show you the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, and you can be part of this number. And if you are a Christian, let's repent for taking the church for granted. Let let's let's repent for uh, just seeing the flaws. Uh, Let's repent for being bored with the, the bride of Jesus Christ for thinking it's a small thing. And, and let's ask God to give us the eyes to see the church the way Jesus sees the church and let it transform our lives, transform the way we pray, transform the way we talk. This is who we are. By the grace and the, uh, of God, for the glory of God, this is who we are, the beautiful, precious bride of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, what an astounding thing you've done for us. We are, Lord, by nature, rebels and sinners and idol worshipers, idol makers. And yet, Lord, you you sought us out and tracked us down and gave us a new heart and gave us to Jesus. And you, Lord, are now by your power transforming us into his likeness, and one day we will be given to him, our Savior and Lord, as his precious bride. And Jesus I just confess that, that so often we take the church for granted, and so often we, we, we despise the church, or um, just think poorly of her, and we, and we completely forget the glory that belongs to the church, and the, and, and the precious the way that you view your church, and love your church, and and so, Jesus, we want, to, we want to have your heart for your bride, for your church. We want to see it the way you see it. Uh, we, we want to look at each other with new eyes and at ourselves with, with new eyes. Lord, this is our destiny. And, and Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that on that last great day, we, by the grace of God, will be in that number when the saints go marching in. Oh, Father, I, I just pray for Every person here, Lord God, that none of us would miss that day. And that, Lord, if we're not in Christ tonight, that your spirit would be at work. And that we would have a deep hunger to belong to this glorious, glorious bride of Christ. And Jesus, we pray you would come soon. We, we're ready to go home. Uh, we know, Lord Jesus, that you, you, you know the days and, and you will come in your time. But we, we pray that you would come soon and take us home. Uh, that we can enter into the full glory and the beauty of what we've read here tonight. We give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond uh, to God's word tonight. We're going to stand and sing. There is a higher throne. Hear heaven's voices sing. Let's stand together and sing. with the blessing of the Lord your God. This is not his wish for you. This is his gift to you. Receive it in Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Till Christ come again. amen. Amen.